Good morning, Impact. Uh, can you just give this team a, uh, a great big round of applause for leading us this morning? There's a couple of things right out of the gates that I want to share with you. First, for those of you who are visitors or have been trying our church out for a little while, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I would love to meet you if you come up afterwards, you're visiting, just, uh, just, just share who you are. I'd, I'd love to be able to say hi to you. And uh, we're in a series called Being Human. And here's what I want to emphasize just right out of the gates after a worship uh, experience like that together. Um, I hope no matter what church experience you're bringing with you today, okay, or what presuppositions or ideas that you may have about what you've got to do to come to church, right? I know it's really easy to fall prey to this idea, at least for me growing up, I recall very distinctly thinking we have to put on our cheerful face to go to church. You guys feel me? That, that in order to actually come to church and to dwell with other people in a specific worship experience, gathering together like the church, that I, I need to put some sort of, uh, some sort of facade up that, that causes me to fit to that environment. And what I want you to know, I want, to, what I want you to think about as we start today, that that's not who we are as a church. That's not who impact is as a church. The more that you're part of our body, the more that you participate in our body, I hope you begin to realize we come together because we, as humans, we desperately need God. Yes. We desperately need his presence. And we're not gonna come in here, we're not gonna fake it, we're not gonna pose, we're not gonna present something that's not true. We're gonna come to God vulnerably. We're gonna come to God honestly. We're going to come before him recognizing how incredible, how awesome, how loving, how perfect, how amazing he is and how desperately we need him in our lives. Okay. So to do that today, I want to, I want to share something with you and it, it, uh, it's hard for me to share this because I'm a little bit scared about how you're going to take it, but to, to really get human, to really be human with each other. I need you to know that I'm coming to you this morning after one of the worst weeks of my life, this last week. Yeah. Now, your mind probably immediately starts speculating, oh, you know, what happened and what's going on? Is the church falling apart? No, the church is not falling apart. For, for you guys, the world has not come to an end. But for me, this last week felt like the world came to an end. And I mean it, in the top five worst weeks of my life. And here's why. I have a dear, dear, dear friend, one of my closest friends in all the world, who has been attacked, maligned, with a corruption and an evil and an attempt to take him out that is absolutely diabolical. And it has... It has undone him. Yeah. It's seeking to ruin him. And my heart and my soul ached this week with him and for him. Now, 
before all of you get on your email, probably even right now, let's email Jason, because Jason and Ryan are good friends, and it's got to be Jason, and uh, something awful happened in his life. It is not Jason. Please do not fill up my inbox with speculation and pondering and suggestive ideas about what friend it may be. Okay, I don't, I don't need you to do that uh, in the name of concern. If, if I sniff that out in the first line, this is something else for you to know. If that's where you're going in your email, I won't even read your email. That's my personality. Okay. And, I, and, and in the world we live in, and in the month we're in, in our church, our church will stay a theologically conservative, socially compassionate, with common sense church. That sentence defines who we are, and that comes up against the world. Hardcore. So some of you are speculating, oh, it's got to be something to do with, you know, events locally that's going on and you're wondering if that's it. And, and, and it's not, it's, it's not that either, okay? Honest to goodness, after the last two years, starting with COVID, uh, Jason and I specifically as the executive and senior leaders of this church, you know what we've learned to do? We've learned to stack a lot of those kinds of criticisms and a lot of that stuff up in a list and just let Jesus take care of it. Amen. Okay? It's not that stuff. It's my dear friend who's been eviscerated by a diabolical evil that's come after him. And so here's what I did. Even in thinking, I have to preach. I have to get up here, I have to share something of worth and value and meaning, and I love doing that. But God, my, my heart is so unsettled. It's, it's swimming in soup. I don't know which way's up. I'm confused. I want to help. I want to do something. Amen. This is early in the week. And so here's what I did. Here's what I want to encourage you today to do. I went back to the wisdom literature. I went to the Proverbs. I went to God's word for truth and direction to help unravel the confusion in my mind. And it was powerful for me. And so even though part of me doesn't even want to be here today, I am so excited to be able to share with you what God actually has to say about the topic of friendship because that's the topic we're on in being human today, friendship. And as I dug into the Proverbs, man, did he just start speaking and start communicating. And what I want you to do as a church, what I want you to be equipped with is to know that the word of God is available to you when we are swimming in confusion and chaos and mayhem, which many of us are. I know that the majority of you today probably walked in here with, without the pep in your step that you were hoping you would have, but instead with some burdens and some heaviness, and that's okay. We as a church will anchor ourselves, tether ourselves, direct ourselves, orient ourselves by the word of God. And so that's what we get to do today in the, on this topic of friendship, which is a topic so badly wrecked in our, in our culture, in, in our world, so badly misunderstood. And it's a really, really big deal that the church get friendship right. Because it's a communication of an attribute at the very character and heart of God. Friendship and unity and intimacy inside himself that he then created us to carry forward. 
And when our version of friendships look more like the world's version of friendships, boy, is it confusing for the world. Our version of friendship looks, needs to look like the way God said friendship looks like. And so, and so let's begin. Let's do that today. I want to answer a couple of questions. Where has friendship been misunderstood and misconstrued in your life and it's hurting you? What does real true friendship look like anyway? And finally, how can we find, listen to this, how can we find, forge, and keep good friendships in today's world? We're going to try to answer that. To do it, there are four particular categories that, that I want. Those of you who are note takers, which is all like uh, 10 of you, okay, in here. But for those of you who are note takers and you're writing this down, write, write four, these four areas. The first is the uniqueness of friendship. I want to dig into that. The second is the discovery and the finding of friendship, which is different than what you may have thought about friendship before. The, the third is what it takes to actually tend or forge friendship? How do you reform and work on friendship? How do you keep it? And then the last is the power to do this kind of friendship well. Those four areas. The first passage that we're gonna look at is Proverbs 18, 24, the second half. This is, we'll see this one reoccur throughout. This is under the uniqueness of friendship. Here it is. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, what you need to pay attention to initially here is how this proverb is actually contrasting a friend with a biological relationship that our brain automatically goes to, but a brother or a sister. This is a familiar clash. What the, what the author of the Proverbs wants you to know is there's a friend, friendship that can actually be tighter and more intimate than brother love. So here's, here's what I thought as, as I'm digging through this. And I started researching different types of love, different kinds, the primary types of love that we see in different cultures. And it struck me that in liberal individualistic cultures, our culture would be a liberal individualistic culture. We tend to elevate sexual, romantic, or erotic love. We, we naturally take that kind of love and we put it much higher than any other, other form of love. Now, if, you're, if, you, if you go, I don't know that that's true because, you know, you're a social theorist. I, I, I would challenge you to stack up the number of songs in your playlist that talk about romantic, erotic love comparative to the songs in your playlist that talk about friendship love. Okay, if you do that, I guarantee one stack goes through the roof and the other stack might come up to my knee. Okay? Or if you think about um, your, your Insta reel or your Facebook reel, I don't know, they're just reels now, but they're in all kinds of different places. And that's, that's taken, as I can tell anyway, that's taken the place of what used to be like celebrity mag magazines, like People Magazine and Us Magazines, you know, basically the smut that's right. that you would see. And ask this question, do you see more articles plastered across the front of that uh, magazine or your Insta reel that asks the question, who's sleeping with who? Or do you see who's best friends with who in the celebrity world? Again, no comparison. Our culture elevates romantic, erotic love as a biological need that we have made the most important 
of all needs. The next would be uh, cultures, conservative familial cultures that elevate familial love. Just real quickly here, Proverbs is written in a cultural context. The wisdom literature is written in a conservative, traditional culture that would have elevated brother, sister, father, mother love above any other kind of love. So for this passage to say there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, guys, this should be cluing us in to something that God wants us to know about what he thinks about the love of friendship. Okay? And then the last would be um, socialistic and communalistic cultures. Uh, they elevate civic love. They elevate uh, work and war networks. They, they elevate business and battlefield partnerships and alliances. A, um, a communalistic culture says your neighborhood is the most important love. It's, it's the place you need to invest the most. That is the relationship that matters. I want to quickly jump to something C.S. Lewis said to consider all of these different forms of love. Look what he said. He said, friendship is the least instinctive, organic, biological, the least necessary of all our loves. It has the least commerce with our physical system. There's nothing throaty about it, nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. Here's what he's saying, real simply. He's saying, if it were not for erotic love, you wouldn't exist. If, if it were not for sexual love and the desire of your parents, you wouldn't be there. It's a biological necessity, erotic love is. It's not chosen. We have to have that kind of love. The second thing he's saying is if it weren't for familiar, familial love, if it weren't for the love of your family, you wouldn't be reared. There'd be no one there to raise you. Even very bad families at least manage to raise you. And some of you are like, barely. <laughs> I get that. But if it weren't for that kind of love, you, you wouldn't have any network to raise you. And then the last, if it weren't for communal love, you wouldn't survive. Alone, you die. Watch the show Alone on the History Channel. It's, fa it's fascinating. Literally, they can't get people to live much beyond a hundred days alone without anybody else. Here's what God wants us to know, that he wrote friendship into existence out of himself, not because we need it to survive, but because we want it to thrive. Amen. Okay. God thinks about friendship, I believe, as the highest, most altruistic form of love that he has offered us as a gift, not as a biological or sociological necessity. This should elevate the importance of friendship in our construct of what it means to follow Jesus the way he tells us to live. The next passage is, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Look at this word, Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully. It's as if Proverbs is screaming at us. Scream 
screaming at us. You won't thrive and grow and flourish without friends. Friendship brings something into your life that is unique and even better than other loves. More committed than a sibling, more valuable than a network community, and and more emotionally fulfilling than physically gratifying. Real friendship, my friends, is a deliberate choice and an intentional decision. It's not duty or obligation. Back to C.S. Lewis, he said, I have no duty to be anyone's friend and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is unnecessary like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of the things which give value to survival. Oh, I love that. Wish I could write like that guy. So, so the second of our points today, how do we get this thing that's more precious than other forms of love? In other words, the discovery or the finding of friendship, which is another thing that I think we get wrong as a culture and society. Look at Proverbs 18, 24, again, the whole verse. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a man of many companions, companions and associates in our lives, especially in our world, are innumerable. So many points of contact and connection. They're all around us. But we we do well to keep our our friends fewer, more selective and tight-knit. This passage is literally telling us many companions, that's plural, a friend. That's singular. You you guys, it's okay to keep your intimates close. Some of you social butterflies and extroverts in here need to hear this. And some spouses are elbowing their their, their other half. You need to hear this. Because some of you run around and you schedule coffee at the drop of a hat and you want to go out and you want to do something, you want to go bowling and then you want to do something else and you want to do and you and you're trying to take all of those many companions and you're trying to make them all your intimates and you're robbing core crucial things of your own psychology and life and of those other people closest to you when you do it. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many companions actually may come to ruin. Joe Martino is a local podcaster and therapist in Lowell and Grand Rapids. He's a good friend of mine. We're talking about this and he said, look, just sociologically, psychologically, this is demonstrated over and over again in the sciences. People do not have more room or more capacity than 12 intimates. And in that 12 intimates is included your close family members. Where does this leave us? Room for four, five, six maybe, good friends. Some of you extroverts are just starting to, you're killing me. And some of you introverts out there are like, yeah, tell them, get them. This is just true collectively of us, okay? 
Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from earnest counsel. Proverbs 27, 9. Look at, to, to understand some of these maxims for living that were given in the Proverbs, you gotta understand the context. In that day and age, sweetness or pleasantness was coming out of this construct of food. And when they... When they talked about something sweet in this context, it could not be made or forced. It had to be found or discovered. You see, they didn't have sugar. That's right. If you don't have sugar, you can't dump it in everything you eat every day, all day long, like you do. Because... It's not available. You gotta go out, you gotta find a lion carcass with a beehive in it, and, and in, a, in a Davidic way, you gotta shove your arm in there, rip out that honeycomb, and just eat it, you know, as it drips down your arm. Sweetness. I gotta go, I gotta go find it. It's gotta be something I encounter, not something I force. Look at this is really, really critical for us. Uh, friendship, friendship. Is, um, is something many of us think we need to force. It's something many of us just automatically assume that we should you know, be able to, to connect with somebody and push it and make it happen. Let's move to this next part of the verse. It says, it says the sweetness of a friend comes from earnest counsel. Now here's what's embedded in this, in the original language. Earnest counsel is shared Value Something of the word here expresses deep worth in the same things. Shared value and common interests. We're being given a clue here about the importance of shared value in something outside yourself. Okay. In other words, friendship should not be about the end of friendship necessarily. It should actually be about an end that you're both side by side looking and saying, wow. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. This is the birthplace of friendship. I'm not saying that you don't work on friendship after the birthplace. But I am saying this, and listen carefully. Some of us try to force intimacy with people who do not have the, shared, the same shared value that we do. In other words, if you are trying to force intimacy with someone who does not know and love Jesus in, in their life, you're only gonna get to a certain point of depth. You can't go any deeper. And many of us try to do that. Many of us just, we so long for friendship to be the thing that we actually overlook the fact that that other person doesn't know Jesus. They don't share the same values. Yeah. And, and, and then innately we know this too because if you, if you like someone, they're kind of likable and you're likable, but they, have, they absolutely are not interested in any of the things that you're interested in. I mean, point blank, nothing, no similarity. Does it go anywhere? It doesn't. I, I, I want us to pay attention to this, this uh, question of whether there is shared value, that you find friendship when there's that aha moment of, oh, you too. And then once you find it, that you move forward into that relationship and you begin to forge and tend. Now you begin to work. 
Now you begin to make things happen inside uh, a relationship that has shared value. Now the four, these are the, the next part, the four right elements of true friendship under forging and tending. Okay, this is our third point. There are four parts of our third point. And the first one is constancy. Look at this passage from Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. This is the first part of that. Loves at all times. And the second one, back to 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This, this word sticks is a fascinating word. And I wanna unpack for just a second what constancy means. If this is the, the first part of what it takes to be a good friend, constancy. I do not mean continually, okay? Some of you who have dear friends need to come up for air and recognize that there are other human beings around you. Yeah? It it means that you are always available for that person. It doesn't mean that you're always with that person, okay? That's the distinction here. Constancy means that you are there no matter what they need, when they need it, that you are going to do your level best to be available to them, whether it's convenient in your schedule or not. We know these kinds of friends. We know these kinds of people who have been uh, uh, there for us. A constant friend also will not let you come to ruin. Look at that in the passage. They are, they are attentive to the things around you and the things in you that potentially could bring you to ruin. And they're going to do everything they can to, make, to, uh, to help you avoid that, to fight that with you. This word, to stick, in the Old Testament uh, is to cleave. That is to deliberately choose to stick with no matter what is going on in that other person's life. To cleave to is to choose to be in it through the thick and thin with that other person. This is constancy. When your life is collapsing and when you don't know which way to turn, when it's going to make, take major investment and expenditure of energy to stick in it with you, a companion or an associate will say things like this, hey, call me if you need anything. And then they hope like heck that you don't call them. Yes? You've heard it. Hey, call me if you need anything. But you know what a friend does? A friend literally does not say that. A friend is close. They're emotionally connected to you. And so they anticipate the things you might need. They recognize sometimes even before you do. And they're there ready with it. They say things like this. Here, you needed this. And I noticed. That's a friend. A friend goes to the mat. A friend fights to keep you from hitting bottom. A friend has got your back. A friend is there even when it costs him or her something. And a friend pursues you. A friend comes after you. A friend pays attention when there just hasn't been much contact at all and you seem to be going silent. You seem to be going dark. That's constancy. The second of forging and keeping a friendship is carefulness, not carelessness, carefulness. Look at this, look at this passage, Proverbs 25, 17 says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and he will hate you. Anybody ever heard that one before? 
These proverbs are so good. Look, in, a, a person is, if, if a person is careless of your plans, listen to me, if they're inconsiderate of your time, if they're unaware of what bothers you or uncaring about your family and what's happening in your family, they're not a real friend. They're just not. They're selfish and they lack self-awareness. These kinds of people do things like this, overstaying their welcome, eating all your food all the time, never offering to invite you to their house, constantly talking about their life and never asking you about your life, always asking for your help and never offering to help you, draining you with their drama every single time you're together. If you're trying to call that relationship a friendship, stop. That's not a friend. And some of you in here need to recognize that that list is how you've been trying to be a friend. Take, 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 never give anything. Obsessive, compulsive, possessive, use of that other individual's life and time. You're not a friend. That is not biblical friendship. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and he will hate you. Here's what I mean to say. A good friend a good friend is tuned into you the same way you are tuned into them. You see, there's mutual emotional connectivity. There's mutual awareness of each other. There's intentional intending and tending of the other heart. It goes on. Proverbs does not want to let carefulness in friendship go. Tenaciously, look at this. Like one who takes a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. This gets egregious, my friends. I actually looked it up. So I'm like, well, what if, what if this person, I, I, I was like, well, what if this person, maybe, maybe that's kind of mean. What, what if the song was a, a dirge? What if they were singing a sag song to a heavy heart? That's not what it means. It literally means singing a joyful song to a sad heart. Here's what I want to tell you. If I can be happy when you are deeply saddened, I'm not your friend, not your intimate friend. I might be a companion, I might be an associate, I might be in your network. But if I can be happy when you are hurting, when you're down and out and there's pain all through your life and I just am disconnected from it, I, don't, I have not forged emotional connectivity with you. Think of it this way. Uh, there's a good illustration. Um, I was thinking about my kids and I remember distinctly the day soon after um, my oldest was born, when I, w- I had this aha moment, I was like, I am never gonna be happier than my, my most unhappy child. Why did I have kids? <laughs> I have four kids. Run the odds. And, and, and here's what you should pay attention to going back to the brother comparative to the friend. 
That's automatic, right? I automatically, I naturally am not going to be happier than my most unhappy child. I don't really have a choice in that. That's biological. That's sociological. I also think that's biblical. But a friend, here's the difference. A friend deliberately chooses that emotional connectivity. A friend says, I attach my emotions and my heart to you in such a way that your feelings and your emotions matter to my existence. There's a crucial distinction. This is supernatural relationship. This is spiritual connection. This goes beyond I have to to I want to with you. That's a friend. That's forging. That's keeping the relationship moving forward. The third part of forging and keeping is candor, not kisses. Look at these Proverbs. This gets really good. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Proverbs 27, five. And wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 27, six. We know know what it means. Here's my challenge to you. A lot of what the Proverbs brings to light exhumes truth that God has put in our conscience. You guys remember Jiminy Cricket? You remember the conscience that Jiminy Cricket was for Pinocchio before he came alive when he was just a wooden boy? God has put a conscience in us. I believe that. And our conscience often recognizes the maxim and the wisdom that Proverbs offers us. And here's what this means. Better is open rebuke than a hidden friend. A friendly wound is a metaphor for words that your friend needs to hear that will be painful for them to hear. But those words are vital for your friend to hear. And you know it. You know it. I'm really, really sick of something in our culture. I'm sick of this idea that I think just gets pressed on us all the time. And it's, it's this. I think wisdom has been silenced in our world so that stupidity doesn't get offended. We see, we see proverbs like these proverbs. And they automatically cause something inside us to go, <gasps> That's unique to our crazy world that we live in right now. This was, this was not necessarily unique to the world that pro- these Proverbs were written in. These were written for our time and our age so that something would stir inside us. And we would say, oh, oh. So there are times I need to speak hard truth. I need to be candid. You know what candor is? Candor is honesty. Candor is vulnerability and candor is openness. Now, vulnerability and openness, all of us love those. But that's that honest part. See, it matters what you have to say. And in our world with Facebook groups and workplace networks and Instagram followers, we twist, we actually get upside down where to be candid and where not to be. We we have been taught that with your 5,000 Facebook friends, total 
Total lie, by the way, to call them your friends. They're not your friends. They are not emotionally invested in you. Do not believe that. But what we do is we go on to Facebook and we're candid. We use candor on Facebook where there's not the relationship that that other person can understand what you're saying in context of emotional connectivity. It's the opposite of that. They hardly know you. They might be an associate. So you just dropped a truth bomb and blew up their life and they don't even know who you are. That's where we like to be candid. Where the Proverbs is telling us to be candid is in that circle of intimate friends that need your perspective so they don't come to ruin. See, we get it upside down. Let's stop it, church. Let's stop doing that. Let's actually look at what the Proverbs tell us. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Do you trust your friend? And does your friend trust you? Ask yourself that today. Have you lived in such a way? Have you been emotionally uh, concerned and involved in such a way that there's trust that's been built as a core element of your relationship? That that wound that you desperately needed meant something because it helped you in the long run, even though it hurt you in the short run. You see, I am actually an advocate, believe it or not, in a little bit of pain now that helps you avoid catastrophic pain later, then then, then kisses are multiplied from an enemy. Oh no, you're doing great. Just keep right on doing what you're doing. Right, you know that, yeah, I don't know it looks like a cliff, but who knows? You, you might walk right off there and walk on air. <laughs> oh, it doesn't look that bad. It's only 75 feet and rocks below. You'd probably survive that. <laughs> if you do candor without first building carefulness, it will not be accepted well. Candor is telling the truth for the benefit of your friend. Carefulness is being so emotionally connected that the painful words I'm going to tell you are going to create pain for me too. You see? This hurts me to have to say this to you. These are things I tell my kids when I'm disciplining them. This is not easy for me to communicate. This is hard because I know nobody's comfortable right now but I love you so much, I'm going to communicate it anyway. This starts to sound like the greatest friend who ever lived, Jesus Christ. This carefulness and this candor, this grace and this truth, this I will say it, but I'll say it in a way that tends and is attentive to where you are and how you might receive it. Proverbs goes on 
Proverbs 18.1 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. This is painful. When you isolate, when you start pushing other people away, I think you're falling prey to one of these ideas. And I think it's one of the greatest deceptions in the modern era, bar none, is, is this one. Is your truth, my truth, their truth, our truth, anybody's truth, nobody's truth, blah, blah, blah. This idea of your truth is truly empty-headed, stubborn-hearted nonsense and stupidity. It will get you in a world of hurt fast. And yet we're told at every turn around us, we are told that that just whatever you think and whatever you feel, that's your truth. Go ahead and do that. This proverb is coming after this, literally saying a real friend won't let you isolate yourself and won't let you elevate your own opinion to the point of self-delusion. A real friend will fight to ensure you stay accountable to sound judgment as defined by the infallible, inspired word of God. God's truth, my friend, is the truth. And when you have a friend that loves that truth so much and loves you so much that they are willing to call you back to it, you hold on to that friend. You develop that relationship. You make yourself vulnerable and humble to receive what that friend has to say in your life. And it will be transforming to who you are. Jesus himself, as the greatest friend of all time, he said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul tells us in Ephesians, rather, rather than that, speak the truth in love, Paul says. So I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is what we believe as a church. There is a way to speak the truth that brings life to other people. That's what we want to be about. But we don't want to be like, oh, any truth, I'll just, I'll just truth bomb you. No, no. If you aren't careful, if you're careless, emotionally disconnected, then shut your mouth. Candor and carefulness are a really tough balance. It's why friendship is not easy, but it's good. The last of how we keep and forge a friendship is counsel. Look at this passage. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harms. Proverbs 13, 20. Proverbs continually tells us that fools perish either for lack of friends or for poorly chosen friends. Here's an interesting area of friendship that gets twisted, okay? Counsel. It gets twisted by our world telling us that we are who we choose to be. This is another one that'll get you. You are who you choose to be. No, you're not. You're not. In the the early part of your life, the early stages of your life, you're who your, your family makes you. And for the rest of your life, you're who your friends make you. Students, this is critically important for you. Young people in here. The people that you gather around yourself and you actually develop a relationship that is intimate. Those are the people who are going to make you what you are. Or those are the people who are going to break you because they let you walk right off a cliff. And in some cases, they lead you off the cliff. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
The next passage is this, when oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. we, We hit that earlier, but I think what's beneficial here is now to look at what counsel actually is. Counsel is two parts. Good counsel is two parts. It's sweet and it's earnest. That, that I, I don't offer this tritely. I don't say what I'm going to say blithely. I'm not careless in what I'm going to say. It's actually often very pleasant and reassuring or affirming to you. And it'd be really easy if it stopped there, wouldn't it? But there's a second part of good counsel. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron against iron is a clash and it's a grind. It's a challenge. You need in your friend and you need to be a good friend the two parts of good counsel. You need to affirm them. You need to encourage them. You need to lift them up. You need to help them see Jesus. You need to help them see the word of God and what he says about who they are. And there are seasons and there are times and there are moments where you need to clash with your friend. Where you need to grind with your friend. Where you need to connect in such a way that we both walk away a little bit hurt. Two parts to good counsel. Both parts critically necessary. If you've only got one side, it's imbalanced. And then last, the power to do friendship. This is our last point. We're going to end. Thankfully, it's a brief one. The power to do friendship does not come from inside yourself. In your natural self. The power to do friendship comes from Jesus Christ himself. In something he puts in you, the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Again back to why friendship is as important as it is. That when God created us, that when he stamped his image on us, when he pressed his likeness into us, he put in us a desire and a hope for and an ability to thrive in good relationships, relationships that are unified, relationships that are intimate, relationships that catapult you forward, relationships that meet your needs and ones with that you are meeting other people's needs. This is built into who we are. And then when Jesus came in person to us, as he's leading the disciples, the 12 disciples, hint, hint on the number of friends or people that you can have in your intimate circle. When he's leading them, he goes through, if you're in the book of John, go to chapter 15, the the 14th, the 15th, the 16th, and 17th chapters, there's a desperation in Jesus. It's truly like, I need you guys to know what's about to happen. I need you to not only know what's about to happen, but to have some guidance and some counsel as we move through this. And it is there in chapter 15 that he said, he says, greater, uh, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And he proceeds to tell them, I am about to go lay down my life. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I am going to be the greatest friend you will ever know. Amen. And that friendship That friendship and that relationship has to be in us before we can go and actually be this kind of friend to other people. Look at Spurgeon said it this way. He said, Jesus then went to the cross 
in a posture of the most incredible vulnerability. He's pinioned, he is crucified, arms wide open, as vulnerable and open as you possibly can be. And he looks down at a world, at you and I, that are, that are mocking him, are spitting on him, are scorning him, are reviling him, rejecting him in the moment. And as he looks at our treatment of him in his offer, he literally stayed Spurgeon says, stayed on that cross. He stuck. He cleaved because he loved us so enormously. Back to 15, chapter 15 of John. He literally says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I call you friends. To you and I, that God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, could be our intimate friend, should transform your friendships in every context that you move into. He's where it's at. I just challenge you today as you leave, as we go out from here. Don't don't think about friendship as, ah, it doesn't really matter that much. I, I know, especially inside of marriages, usually one spouse it, like, thinks they can be friend with absolutely everybody. And the other spouse is irritated by it. But if you look at the other spouse, quite frankly, they have no friends. <laughs> Most of you are nodding that are in marriages right now. And so the challenge is to come towards the middle. The challenge is to say, no, I can and should, as a follower of Jesus, be a good friend. But I should not name everybody in this massive globe as my dear friend. That's not true. That will harm you, okay? So I want you to leave here today thinking about the high, high call of friendship that God has placed on our lives if we're followers of him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this charge. Thank you for the Proverbs. God, it's, I just pray that every person here goes home and opens the wisdom literature cracks open the, the, the maxims that you have literally given us that bring thriving, that bring the ability to discern and decide in moments where we're not sure what the right thing to do is. God, I just, I just, I thank you today that you anchor us this way that your word is full of truth, that your word is full of guidance, that your word does not leave us stranded in any way, but it presents such good direction, such good orientation. God, would you instill in us a desire even? Give us a desire today to eat more from your word. Give us a desire today to, 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 to take what we digest and allow it to produce fruit in us that blesses the people around us. We want to be different, but we want to be different, your kind of different, God. And so I just pray this blessing over every heart in here today. That you, if, if, if we abide in you in your way, that you would give us good friendships, delightful friendships, meaningful interactions 
Things that would scaffold us to greater and greater heights of being and bearing your image to the world. God, I pray that with everything in me. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to do that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.